Ready? Okay, this week's Parsha. Parsha is Vayishlach. Parsha is Vayishlach. Um, the most, um, um, how do you say, the most uh, important thing that jumps out at you, Parsha is Vayishlach, is the first 50 verses or so, which is like a third of the Parsha. But if you had a small Parsha, it would it would knock off a whole Parsha. This week's Parsha is one of the largest. So it knocks off a third of the Parsha. There's 50 Psukim that's talking about the back and forth between the meeting of Yaakov, Jacob, Yaakov, and his brother, Esav. So just before we get into any of the details, the basic idea that the Torah spends 50 verses on this seemingly um, simple meeting between Yaakov and Esav is of note because the Torah doesn't um, the Torah doesn't uh, just tell us funny, funny, fun stories. The Torah, everything in the Torah has very clear meaning to it. So the fact that the Torah is telling us Literally, it takes us right until Hamishi. So we have the first, um, the Kohen Levi Yisrael, Revi Hamishi, the first five aliyahs, the first five people that get called up to the Torah are all discussing this um, meeting between Jacob, Yaakov, and Ezab. The Torah goes and continues with the, abduct, ab, the abduction of Dina, one of Yaakov's children, Yaakov's daughter. And there's a whole story over there. And then Shimon and Levi, the two children, what two of the Shvatim go and they kill out the whole city of Shechem. And there's a whole discussion over there about exactly how they were able to mercilessly, seemingly mercilessly murder, kill a whole city. We're not going to talk about that this week. Um, then the death of Devorah. Um, the death of Rachel and the birth of Benjamin, Benjamin, the last of the 12 tribes. And then that's basically the end of the parasha where, where um, Isaac dies and the Torah goes to the whole lineage of Esav, Esav's children. And it's a whole different discussion. Okay, back to us. I'm going to try to get um, some, we're going to try to get some clarity into this um, whole chapter, this whole saga of the meeting of Yaakov and Esau. And we will begin by reading inside. Um, it would be nice if, if anyone has a Chumash in front of them, they could follow along. Definitely not 100% necessary, but it would be very beneficial to follow along inside. And we'll start at the beginning of the parasha. It's in page, on page 170, 171 in the Blue English art scroll, and it goes like this: Vayishlach Yaakov Malachem Lefanov El Esav Achiv, Artsas there stay at that. Jacob sent angels ahead of him to Esav his brother, land of Seir, and he goes on, and he says, Kai Semru Ladani the Esav, go tell my 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 brother Master Esav, and this is what your servant um, Yaakov Jacob um, is telling you in love on Garity. I have sojourned with Lavan and I have lingered until now. Interesting the way art school translates it. 
Um, but either way, it continues on. We're going to go continue to the, we're going to jump until to, to verse, um, verse number eight, verse number ches, the next page, page 172. It says, Yaakov ma'od, and Yaakov became very frightened. And he distressed him. So what did he do? So the meaning, seemingly the meaning of his brother was very, he was very nervous and he was scared, frightened and distressed. He divided the people, his, his camp, his family. He divided his whole family, all of the cattle, the sheep, and he divided them into two camps. Okay? So this is why? Why did he do this? So the next verse, in verse test, verse number nine, it says like this: By Yomer and Yaakov said him, Yavo Esav elamachen achas v'ikahu. If Esav comes and he, um, I guess, destroys or kills out one camp, the remaining camp shall survive. So there's a whole discussion and the commentary is exactly what is going on here. There is a medrash that tells us that Yaakov. There's a measure that tells us that Yaakov knew through the um through Ruach Hakodesh that he and his brother Esav will die on the same day. So he figured he'll send one him, he'll come in the front, he'll send the other half of his family a day's um, journey away, and therefore he knows through divine um um through his divine understanding that he will die if, if he if he gets killed in the first camp. His second camp, that's a day behind, will automatically survive because Esau will have died um, in the interim. But there's many, many questions, and I'm just going to throw out a lot of these different questions based on the verses um, to bring out one or two main ideas. And we're going to try to build up these two ideas throughout these different verses. And the questions abound many, many questions. The first question is by Yachatz. Jacob split the camps. What's going on here? What's so significant about splitting the camp? Obviously, we said the first. Uh, we said the 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 first idea, the first measures we quoted, that there was some sort of practical significance. But it seems very interesting that he split the camp. Why? Because if you jump later on, and you don't have to go there yourself, I'll just tell you what the verses said. It says when he actually ended up meeting Ace of his brother. After he bumped into the angel, he bumped into the angel of, of Esav later on. And then in the next morning, the following day, he meets Esav. And what happens? He sets up his whole family in line and they all bow down to Esav. And, and no one really is missing besides for Dina. Um, but but um, it says... And the children, his wife Leah, and her children, follow them. All of the whole family is there. Yaman wasn't born yet. So I thought we just said that he split his camp in half. Here we go. He meets Asaph, and they're all there. They're all together again. What happened? How do they, what happened to his whole grand plan? They're all together, all the whole family's together again. So he split them up, or he didn't split them up. What happened? Very interesting question. I don't I don't know if I ever thought about this question until this year when someone asked me this question and I didn't have a good answer for it until I we delved deeply into the into the 
into the story. But what happened? He, he said he's going to split them by Yachat. He split them up. And all of a sudden, they're back together again by the time they meet. Uh, only uh, the next morning. So clearly, he didn't actually split them up in the end. What happened? That's the first question. The second question is, He'll basically decimate the first camp. And the second camp, again, assuming that we're talking about a physical split, the second camp will survive and the first camp um, will be destroyed. So he's very happily choosing. I'm being a little bit sarcastic here. He's very happily choosing. Okay, you'll be the first camp. You all got killed. You guys, you go to the back. I like you guys better. Right? So something's fishy going on here. And also, it's like he's almost like he's giving up on a, half his family. He's like, ton. He's giving up on them. What's going on? He's giving up on them? It doesn't make any sense. And again, endless amounts of questions. If we're going to understand this whole story in a very simple, natural, superficial level, all of these questions um, come to the forefront. Another question is, why was he so scared? So the Medrash tells us the reason why he was scared is, I'll give you the four words, Shema Yigroim Alav Chet. Perhaps, maybe, he sinned. And since he sinned, maybe Hashem is not going to be so happy with him and maybe he'll get destroyed. Okay. That's a very, very valid reason for him to, to feel like he needs to repent or do teshuva. But we know that a, there's a famous saying and we, we, we spoke about this last week, I think. Maybe not. I don't remember if I got to it. Even if a sharp sword is resting on a person's neck, a person should never, um, right? Should always believe in that a God could come and save him. Always have bitachan, always have belief. We always know we have confidence that God can come and save us. So all of a sudden here, Yaakov is one of our, our, our patriarchs. He's like trembling. He's like almost like, he, and, and it's like, what's going on here? Like, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe he has a little bit of fear because he, he maybe perhaps did an avera, did a sin. But the reality is, is that he's supposed to have 100% perfect faith in Hashem, even though he, he, we're not perfect. And all of us included, right? We're, none of us are perfect. Well, far from perfect. I'm far from perfect. Hopefully, maybe you are closer to being perfect. But we all, our, our duty is to believe and to have faith and to have confidence that whatever befalls us, Hashem is going to protect us. That's that's a part of our, our one of the part of the one of the tenets of Judaism is that we always believe, we always know that Hashem is always always has our back. And here Yaakov is like telling us, he's he's literally like he's like he's like he's totally like totally lost it. He's 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 the Torah tells us. By he was scared by he and he was and he was and he was distressed. It, it seems like a very very um, um, exaggerated uh, fear from Yago. Um, there's many more questions, but I think we pretty much summed up um, the the gist of it. Um, let's just continue on. I'm going to answer the, all of these questions with one or two basic. Um, concept. So let's just continue on. We'll try to keep on building on this concept, building on all the problems that we have here. We have a lot of problems with believing that this story is a simple story, as we would call it, a simple Sunday, a simple Sunday school story to just say over like in five minutes, a beautiful story. There's a lot more than a lot deeper. The story goes a lot deeper than what meets the eye. 
the, the, the following um, piece of the story goes like this. Um, I'm going gonna, gonna to jump into the, into the story where, where Asaph goes and he meets um, the angel. He meets a man, but this man is really an angel of, of the angel of, 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 of Asaph. He's the angel of Esav, and the Medrash tells us that the angel of Esav really symbolizes the Malachamavas and the Satan, the Satan, the, 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 the evil inclination, the, the, the angel that's in charge of making us um, do all the sins and all the errors, and he's our, we call him our arch nemesis. What are, arc, how do you say arch nemesis, right? Um, and he's really, so this is the angel that, that, that Jacob meets. So it's right on the bottom of, of page 174, 175. Um, it says, Jacob was left alone, and a man, which the, the Medrash tells us this man wasn't an actual man, he was an angel, he wrestled with him until the break of dawn, when he perceived that he cannot overcome him, when the angel perceived that he cannot overcome Jacob, he struck the socket of his hip, so that Jacob's hip socket was dislocated as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for Don has broken. And he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So Jacob tells the angel, you cannot go. You cannot go home. Very interesting. We have a, a very clear reference over here that man has the potential to be greater than an angel. In general, men, we consider ourselves on a lower level than angels. Angels are way higher than us, but we see that the potential of a human being is can surpass an angel. We find that with Moshe Rabbeinu, with Moses in the same way, where the, the potential of Moshe Rabbeinu, he, he reached the, the heavenly throne of God and the angels couldn't touch him. The same, the same idea over here. He was actually able to overpower the angel, except that the angel um, hit him in his hip and his hip was dislocated. Anyway, so he tells the angel, he says, I will not let you go until you bless me. And then he says, what is your name? He asks the angel his name. I'm sorry, I said it backwards. The angel asks him what his name is. He replies, my name is Yaakov. My name is Jacob. He says, your name will not be Jacob anymore. He says, your name is going to be Yisrael, Israel. And he gives him a blessing. Jacob asks him, what's your name? And the angel says, why then do you inquire my name? Doesn't tell. He kind of, there's like a little, little we'll call it a Jewish answer. He says, why, why do you want my name? And he, and, he, and, he, and he disappears. That's the end of the angel. Okay. Very weird cryptic story. What's going on here? Hit him in the socket, hip bone. And he knocked his socket. What's going on here? And he asks him what his name is. And he doesn't want to tell him his name. Who cares what the angel's name is? And why does he not want to tell him his name? All these questions. Again, on a very simple level, this whole story seems very, very strange. So now that we built all these questions, now let's go try to explain the whole saga, the whole story with one beautiful concept, one beautiful answer, which will answer the whole thing up. And as you all probably guessed by now, I kept on repeating it. The answer obviously is that this whole story, this whole thing is all symbolizing a very deep concept, a very deep spiritual concept in the way. Our, our nemesis in this world 
is really the evil inclination. We were put in this world to do good, to do good things, to connect to God. How do we connect to God? By doing the mitzvot, studying Torah. And our, our nemesis, the evil inclination, tries to pull us away, tries to take us away from God. And the Torah tells us that the evil inclination is really the sour, the, the um, how do you say sour in English? The, the, the gosh, the, the chief, not the chief, the, the minister. The minister, the angel minister, whatever you want to call it, of, of Asav, of Asav. So the Asav is, is technically our, our, our nemesis. Asav, which represents the, the people and the, and the, and the nations that are always constantly in battle, at battle with the Jews, um, that's represented in a, in a very, in a physical sense, they're represented by Asav and, and Amalek and all the, throughout the generations, all the, grandchildren and descendants of them and in a spiritual sense they're represented by the by the evil inclination by the yetzer hara so really in essence why was yaakov so scared yaakov was scared not necessarily obviously the the whole story is supposed to be learned on a practical level, on a basic level, that he probably was scared to a certain extent from the physical aspect of meeting his brother who wanted to kill him. But the real definition, the real meaning is that he was scared on a spiritual sense. He was scared that he would be sucked into Asaph. He would be sucked into the whole, um, into the whole um, connection to Asaph. And he was now forced to meet his brother Asaph after being separated from him many, many years. And he meets Asaph. What does he tell Asaph? What does he send the angels to tell Asaph? What? What does Garti, Rashi tells us the word Garti, Gimel, Resh, Taf, Yud, Garti is the same, is the gematria of what? It's actually an anagram, but it's a gematria of the word Taryag, 613. Taryag mitzvah I was by Laban, just a, I don't know if he was as bad as Asa, but he was a crook and a terrible guy. And I kept all of the commandments, all of the mitzvahs I've kept. So you're not going to get me. And that's the message that he tells Asa, right? Again, if it's a very physical, practical um, fear going on, and why is he sending a message about the mitzvahs? It's the same thing. He's trying to tell Esau that I am perfect in my mitzvahs. I'm perfect in my mitzvahs. I've kept all the mitzvahs. It's very interesting. Connected, but totally as an aside, Rabbi Pinchas Green, as uh, some of you, or I don't know how many of you, but definitely some of you know very well, he spoke, um, he's, he's been doing a little marathon around town, but he spoke to the Kolo rabbis. We had a special little private speech. He gave us a little chizok um, Schmooze, a uh, little speech for us, call guys, just the 10, 12 of us. And he said a lot of beautiful things, and he's a phenomenal person. He's one of the most amazing people in the world. Phenomenal Tamachacha, a huge tzaddik. And just to hear him speak, just the sincerity, and the, just, just amazing to hear him speak. But one of the things he told us, and obviously the applications and the lessons may be slightly different for different audiences. But one of the things he told us was that we see a very interesting thing. We see that Abraham, Avraham, 
sent his servant Eliezer to find a wife. And we've touched upon this before. Why, why did he send the servant? Why didn't he send Yitzchak, Isaac, to find his own wife? Because he was nervous that Lavan or Besuel, right, the people in Haran, were going to have a bad influence on him. And therefore he said, no, Yitzchak is staying home. And he sent the servant out. Then the question begs to be asked, asks Rabbi Green, and I'm sure he got it from somewhere, but I'm going to quote it from him because I heard it from him, asked Rabbi Green, why then was Yaakov um, tasked of finding his own wife? Why did Isaac send Jacob, Yaakov, to find his wife without sending a servant. Seemingly, he wasn't very nervous about, about Yaakov's influence. And the answer he said was, obviously, we spoke about this during that week's parasha, Yaakov spent 14 years studying Torah in the yeshiva of Aver, Sheva Aver, before he reached Haran. When a person is totally involved in the Torah, and he's 24-7 in the Torah, is Hashem, and, and the Torah is in his head 24-7, Nothing can have an effect on him. Nothing can have an impact on him. So once Yaakov, Yaakov symbolizes Torah, him, he wasn't, Yitzhak wasn't nervous about. When he was totally, totally involved in Torah and involved in Torah study, he was okay. And that's where we see what happened. Yaakov comes back to Ace of this week's parasha, and he's totally involved in learning. He told us, he said, he said actually a very funny story, which I don't know if, if everyone here is familiar with Yitzhak Shiner. Everyone here knows who Yitzhak Shiner was. So Yitzhak Shiner has a very, I don't, I don't know how similar, but a pretty similar story to Rabbi Green, except um, in, a, in a more extreme sense, because Rabbi, Rabbi Yitzhak Shiner, is, he was just passed away um, a few years ago, recently. He grew up in Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, a long time ago. And he went to, went to public school straight through the end of high school. And as a very, very great divine providence had it, he, someone was in town. I forgot who it was. One of the big rabbis was in town while he was looking into where he was going to go next, to different colleges. And this rabbi convinced him to go to yeshiva. And to make a long story short, he went to yeshiva for Bismadrish. And then slowly but surely he evolved and he became a great Rosh Yeshiva. And he became a Rosh Yeshiva of the Yeshiva of Kamenetz in Yerushalayim. Okay, so he technically was is was Rabbi Green's boss because Rabbi Green was the mashkiach, is the mashkiach of Kamenetz, and he was anyway. So they were coming, they came once to collect money in New York City together. So they were going around New York, and Rabbi Shiner, and I'm not. This is not me saying the story. This is Rabbi Green, so I'm not trying to to put a, make to make light of any anything. By Rabbi Green. He's saying the story over, so I'm just saying it over how he said it. And you can take it with a grain of salt. But this is exactly how he said it. Rabbi Shiner turns to Rabbi Green in the middle of collecting and he says, I think we have to be mechazak. I think we have to strengthen ourselves and think about the Baruch Bar on the sugya that we're learning in Yavamis. Baruch Bar is a safer, the Bercha Shmuel from Rabbi Leibowitz before the war. It's one of the most complicated. Um, one of the most complicated books that are written and one of the most complicated books that, that we, we study in, 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 in Yeshiva and in Kola. One of the most complicated books. And there's a certain piece of, of, of 
in that book, a certain piece, a certain chapter that they were learning in yeshiva. And he tells them, hey, Green, I think we have to focus on this and study this so that we should be more matzliach and we should keep ourselves in Torah. And Eric Green turns to him and says, you know, like if we would be in yeshiva in, 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 in Yerushalayim, in Jerusalem, and then maybe I could, I could be thinking about it and I could spend time making it clear to us and reviewing it. But here in New York, what do you, what do you, what do you, what do you come on. And so Rabbi, Rabbi Shiner turns to him and says, what do you mean? Of course, in New York City also, he says, and you, you're, you call yourself the mashkiach of the commandants or yeshiva. That's what he told him. So his message to us, which was Rabbi Shiner's message to him, was that you could you think you can tell your boys to have a strong connection to Torah when you don't have you're not able to connect to the Torah in New York City? So obviously, again, this is Rabbi Shiner and we're green, and I'm here. But the point is, is that he was telling him that that the idea is that if we want to have success as a rabbi in life, and obviously as a regular person, as we all are in life, we need to keep Hashem in our lives. 24-7, and in his level, this high level of learning that this chapter of the Bercha Shmuel, this chapter, that was in his head, and he was expecting that his Mashkech Rabbi Green would have the same level in his head. Obviously, we're on a slightly different level, to, to say the least, but the idea is the same. The idea is that, that we're trying to keep Hashem connected, trying to keep ourselves together with Hashem. That's what Yaakov was doing there. So Yaakov was coming and he's saying, I'm, I'm perfectly clean. And he was very nervous that when he goes to meet Esau, Esau is going to have a very, very bad influence on him. And the whole theme over here is that he's going to have a bad influence on him in a spiritual way. In a spiritual way, he's going he's gonna to mess him up. Esau is going to mess him up. And we see this concept throughout the whole theme over here. I'm just going to go and jump right over to the to the splitting of the of the of the of the splitting of the camps and we're going to talk about another verse which i think i skipped before my mistake the verse goes as follows it says when yaakov prays to god he says from my brother miyad esav from esav so the all the commentaries ask why is there an extra word miyad achi miyad esav from my brother from from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. The, the Torah should have said, from the hand of my brother, comma, Esau. Right? My brother Esau. Why does it say the word of the hand again? The hand of my brother, the hand of Esau. So the commentaries tell us, and I'm going to just mix a few things, a few different commentaries together just to bring out the point that there's two separate parts that the evil inclination, and this is what it's represented over here in the brotherly love and Esau, which is the, 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 the evil bad guy. So there's the brotherly love, there's the, the sweet um, Yitzhar, the sweet evil, evil inclination, always sugarcoats everything, everything's good, why don't you just do this, why don't you just do that, it's not a big deal, or the, the I, I call them the missionaries, the missionary um, Yitzhahara, everything's good, we love everyone, and all this stuff, fluffy stuff, and then they get you to sin in that way. And then there's the ace of Yitzhahara, there's the ace of Nemesis, there's the there's the Spanish Inquisition, there's the out of the phase, where 
If you don't, right, we're going to kill you. We're going to murder you if you don't do this. And there's very clearly two different parts. And Asaph is telling, he's praying to save me that I should have strength to say, no, I believe in God. Even, not even him, his children and grandchildren, all his descendants, he's praying that they should have strength to believe in God, even when they're standing at the stake during the Spanish Inquisition. Even if whatever trials they go through, they should still be able to stand strong and say, no, I believe in God and make the right choice. And when you have a, a, a situation like, like, like freedom, like we have in the 20, 20th century, 21st century, the greatest freedom that Jews have ever in history, the, greatest, the most freedom that we have ever had throughout the history, practically, maybe for sure since the, the, the temples were destroyed, the greatest freedom we've ever had, and we pray. And he was praying to God. The 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 the, the of freedom. We should be saved from the Yitzhar freedom, the freedom the, that entices us. We can choose to do whatever we want in this world, and it, it's it's it has it has proven to be the greatest test of Judaism throughout the generations, although um, sadly, throughout the generations, many, many people have been killed for for the faith, for, for Judaism, but as far as the sheer numbers of people lost to Judaism, clearly the the the, the test of freedom has been the, the, the worst of them all, as, as the history, or not even history, we're living through it now. It's a terrible tragedy, the, the amount of of, of, of people that are being lost to Judaism is is something that has never been seen before in the history of Judaism. And that's the that's the other side. That's the Hatsileni Nas, save me and protect me from Aki, from my brother, from the brotherly love, from everything's good, do whatever you want. And there's no hope. I mean, there is still a very, very strong anti-Semitism in the world. We're not taking away from that part. They both exist. But the idea of saving and protecting ourselves from the from the from the sweet Yitzhahara, from the Yitzhahara, the evil inclination that that's that's everything's happy-go-lucky. But somehow we, we get lost. And that's the big part. That's the big part. That's what he was praying for. And we see something very, very fascinating when it comes to the, when he meets the angel. It says something very fascinating. It says like this. He was fighting with him the whole night. And the angel didn't, could not overcome him. What did he do? He struck him in his hip. Okay. So the idea, there's a lot of symbolism in the idea of a hip. One of the of the of the basic ideas of a year, I'm trying to look at my notes. I can't I can't remember who who said it. I really should have it here, but the idea is oh, the, oh right, that's what it was. It was the so the well, I'm fine. Sorry. So the the angel struck him in his hip, and then what happens? The Torah tells us that we cannot eat from the uh, the the kid hanasha. I'm trying to find the kid hanasha in English. Um, the the article just sciatic nerve sciatic nerve the article just translates it as the tendon of the animal's thigh but like dan said it's the sciatic nerve so we're not allowed to eat from the sciatic nerve in the back of the animal which is why jews cannot eat um for the most part we cannot eat um filet mignon 
true filet mignon is is part of the part of the animal which is directly connected to the sciatic nerve. The truth is we're allowed to eat the meat. We're just not allowed to eat the nerve. But since it's very difficult and we don't have the proper tradition of how to separate them, most uh, for the most part, besides for the Yemenites, the Yemenites have, have the tradition. But we don't have the tradition, therefore we don't eat the filet mignon. And if you ever dig up a, a, a Yemenite restaurant in Israel, maybe you'll be able to taste it. Any fancy schmancy restaurant in New York City that says they have a filet mignon, it's just a ribeye. Fancy ribeye, but it's just a ribeye. Just you should know that. They're not giving you filet mignon. So the chinuch, the sefer chinuch, is one of the rishonim written by the Ra'ah, one of the big rishonim lived in times of the Ramban, Nachmanides, and the, one of one of those uh, in that era, around the year eleven hundred. He writes, I I I forgot to, to write down the exact wording, but he basically writes, what's the significance over here? Why is the Torah telling us forever and ever and ever we cannot eat the sciatic nerve? The Torah is telling us like this. Esau, um, angel, the nemesis, the evil inclination, had a fight with Jacob, and he didn't win the fight. He lost the fight in essence. And the idea is that he struck Jacob, he struck Yaakov in the sciatic nerve, and that's what we can't eat it today. To show us until this day, we should always remember that the evil inclination and the Esau and the anti-Semites, they will bend us and they will try to smash us, but they will never break us. At the end of the day, we will never be broken. At the end of the day, we will stand strong. At the end of the day, we see time and time again, empires come, empires go, kingdoms come, kingdoms go. And the Jew is always, as Mark Twain Native St. Louis, and I think, right, said the Jew will prevail. The Jew will always prevail. He may not have been the greatest Jew lover, but even he recognized that the Jew will always last on forever. And that is the lesson of the Gidanasha, and that's the lesson over here with the fight, why the Torah has to repeat the whole fight and exactly what happened. He struck him the sciatic nerve that, uh, yes, it will be torturous and it will be painful and there will be many times we will look up and be ready to give up. And we look at that prohibition of the Gidanasha, of the sciatic nerve, and look at that prohibition and say, why are we still doing this? And we think about the fact that we will never break. We will bend, but we won't break. We always have to remember that. We may feel ready to throw in the towel. This is just not working. Look at what's going on. The whole world is going one way or the whole world is going the other way. And how are we going to prevail? And we always remember, this is these are the ties. They blow all over the place. But everything falls at some point. Everything disappears at some point. There's no more Hitler. And there's no more Stalin. And there's no more whoever. Go back into history. And we're still here. We are still here. Because we have the promise from God that we will prevail. And just to end off, I really wanted to get to Devorah, and I'm going to try to throw in, because I really want to talk about it, but the last piece from this idea I really have to talk about, which is the name. So what's going on with the names over here? He asks him, what's your name? So basically, Jacob spends the whole night with his arch rival, this terrible terrible, terrible angel, the evil angel, and he asks him, what is your name? Now, we know in Hebrew, the name of a person signifies his essence. The true essence of a person is symbolized in his name. 
in in Lashon Hakodesh. He so he tells he has he has a grasp on the angel. Says perfect. Now you're going to tell me what your name is. What is your essence? How are you going to? He sees. Wow, this angel is so powerful. How is this person? How is this angel going to come after my children? And maybe I can share this secret with my children so they could have a, a chance to survive against the angel. What does the angel tell him? So what, do you want, what do you want to know my name for? He wasn't just telling him, why do you want to know my name? He was telling him, in essence, I don't have a name. I don't have a name. I have one name. My name is to go against the Jews and to test the Jews and to see how the Jews will react to me. And that game, game that I play has a different name every single day. Every single day that game changes because every single day the tests change and the trials change and the generations, right? What they dealt with 100 years ago is clearly not the same um, of errors and the same issues that they, we, we deal with today. Even 20 years ago and today, they're clearly different. And that was the angel's answer. You want to find out what my essence is? My essence is to go against you, and that essence will change every day. There was no answer to that question. And that is one very, very important piece, one very important point. And the second important point, which is, will give us a little bit of, of the flip side of the coin, which is as follows. The, the Mepharshim, the commentators tell us, but the flip side is also true. The evil inclination doesn't have any essence. He has no essence. Symbolized in his name that he doesn't have a name is that there is no essence. It's all smoke and mirrors. It's all fake. It's all a facade. It's all a scam. The evil inclination just builds a whole fluffy paper lion and makes a whole ruckus and tries to get us to sin. But if we think about everything and we focus, then he can never have a, a handle on us. That is the, 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 the flip side of the same point, which is that although his game changes every day, he's always pushing all the buttons and trying to maneuver himself around. But if you remember that the name of the game is the whole thing is a facade. The whole thing is a charade. And we have to always remember that we have to just remember that the whole evil inclination is all, is all fake. It's all scam. It's all just a movie. It's all dream. It's nothing. It's real. We feel it. But if we think about it, we focus, we can always overcome it but with the thought that it's a facade. So I just want to end off about Devora. Um, I, I, I'm going to try not to go over time, but it's a very interesting thing. I asked a few people before, not in the class, just random people throughout the week, because this question really bothered me. Again, someone else asked me this question, and and oh, I, I forgot to tie up that one loose end about the the splitting of the the splitting of the camps. So we just. The, uh, again, it's very late, so I'm going to try to go through quickly. The answer, I think, is pretty obvious, but the splitting of the camps was never intended to be a physical split of the camps. It was a spiritual split. Half of the camp was going to focus on the achi, on the on the 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 brotherly love in evil inclination, and the other half was going to focus on the ace of on the on the bad parts on the on the tough ace on the tough part of evil inclination, and therefore when he met ace oh I'm sorry, then when he met the evil inclination, 
the, the angel in the middle of the night, the next morning, he was able to confidently bring them all together and bring one happy family. And I, I'm not going to be able to get into in depth because it's very late. So that's just that. I'm sorry if I if I uh, didn't do justice for, to that because it's late. So back to Miriam. I'm sorry, not Miriam. Back to Devorah. So Devorah was a, a she was a, a I guess you call it a nurse or a nanny. She was a menekes of 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 uh, of Rifka, Rebecca. She passes away in the middle of this week's parsha on page number one eighty seven, one eighty six. Sorry, one eighty six, one eighty seven. What verse, verse, Rabbi? Pardon me. I'm sorry. What verse? Verse eight. So it's. Chapter 35, verse 8. Devorah, the, vest, the wet nurse of Rebecca, died. She was buried in Beth El below the plateau, and he, he named it Alone Bachos. So I asked a few people this morning and throughout the week Does anyone know how many of our matriarchs' deaths are clearly recorded in the Torah? Not symbolized, because if you look at the art school on the side, they wrote the deaths of Rebecca and Devorah. So it's symbolized because the Medrash tells us that, but it's not written in the verse. If you read the verse inside, you'll not find it anywhere. The art school kind of cheated when they wrote it on the side. Because if you look on the bottom, they go through a whole explanation. But we're not going to get into that. The question is, how many of the matriarchs were clearly their deaths? How many? There's four matriarchs. We have Sarah, Sarah, Rivka, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah. Only one of their deaths are clearly written in the Torah. At the end of this week's parasha, Rachel dies. She gets buried in Bethlehem, in Beis Lachem, in, in Cave of Rachel. I'm sure at least some of us, hopefully all of us, have been there at some point in our life. And, and uh, she is the only one that's recorded in the Torah. All the other deaths are symbolized or maybe even not symbolized in the Torah. Chai um, Sarah, by Sarah, just says that she passed away. She was 127 years old. And then she was dead in Karyas Arba. But they're not they're not recorded clearly. They're just in the medrash. But ah, but Devorah, who was a wet nurse, wasn't even Jewish. She's recorded. Her death is recorded in the Torah. And there's a whole um, Leviya, a whole burial over here. There's a whole funeral, and they laid, they named the whole city after her. Can anyone figure out who she was and what the significance is? And I guess I will end the class here because I've got overtime. If anyone wants to stay for the answer then you can definitely stay for the answer. If anyone wants to listen to the recording and get the answer, you can always come over to me. You know my name, you know who I am. So I'm just going to stop the recording now because I feel bad.